With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Happy Horror Time. My name is Tim Murdoch. And my name is Matt Emmert. And since we began this podcast three years ago, it's been a dream of mine to interview a cast member from my favorite film of all time, Halloween. And boy, do we have a good one for you, listeners. Before starring in John Carpenter's horror classic, today's special guest made red baseball cap stylish playing Norma in 1976's Carrie. And then in 1978's Halloween, she made us totally fall in love with the word totally as Laurie Strode's bubbly friend Linda. But it was all trick and no treat for Linda that night as Michael Myers got the best of her and never even gave her that beer. We are so incredibly excited to welcome to the podcast a true scream queen, PJ Souls. Yay. Well, I can't have a better intro than that. Totally. Thank you. Thank you. We are so, so excited. Like I said, um, one thing that people know about me on the podcast is that Halloween has been my favorite film from like since I was a kid. So being able to talk to not just anyone from the cast, but you especially is just a complete honor. Yes. Ever since I've known Matt, it's Halloween 24 7, 100. There's not 100 days in the year. No. There's 365. <laughs> 100 days. A no, but really, PJ, it's so honored. It's almost like, for me, this is like such a big moment. So thank you so much. Yeah, there's 364 waiting days and one yes. day of Halloween. Okay. <laughs> one, one day of Halloween. So, you know... PJ, we've done a little research on you and listened to a few of the podcasts you've been on where we learned that you were born in Germany and then went to high school in Belgium and have lived in four different continents. Is that correct? Yes. My father was from Holland. He met my mother in Germany after the war. My mother was from New Jersey. Uh, her first husband had gotten killed in the war and she went over to pay respects to where they had buried him in a German uh, in actually a cemetery in France. And then she went to a uh, an army base, got a job as a secretary for the rebuilding of Germany. And my father from Holland had been captured by the Nazis and put in a work camp. And he had been released and sent to the same um, army uh, camp that my mother was working out at as a secretary. And that's so uh, very strange circumstances, but that's how they met. 
And in any event, he spoke six languages, as a lot of the Europeans do. And uh, she she got a job with a new company uh, that was an insurance company uh, after working for the Army and uh, got him a job. And quickly, he rose up to opening their branch offices worldwide. So from Germany, we went to Morocco, to Casablanca, very exotic. I went to kindergarten, first and second grade in Casablanca, <laughs> which wow. is amazing. I have wonderful, sweet memories from that, from there. And then we went to Maracaibo, Venezuela. These are all countries that, you know, needed uh, an insurance company that insured uh, American corporations overseas, like oil companies and or the uh, military. And then uh, we had a brief little spell in New Jersey. And when my dad worked in New York, and then we went to Brussels, where he actually was working two weeks out of the month in Algeria. But I went to a high school at the International School of Brussels, which I love. So and then I came back. They moved to Istanbul, Turkey, but then I came to uh, New York State to go to college. So wow. <laughs> long story. But... No, no, that is <laughs> that is one of the most incredible childhoods I've ever heard. Did you have a favorite of all of those places to live as a young kid? New Jersey. New Jersey. <laughs> no, not New Jersey. <laughs> Although I did like it was Oakland, New Jersey, and we had a house. On the Crystal Lake, of all things, and the <laughs> Ramapo River was in the back of the house. So that was a very idyllic place. And uh, uh, But I, I would say Maracaibo only because the boating there was wonderful. My dad had a small little boat, and we would explore little out islands. But I really also like uh, Brussels because I had a lot of freedom there. I was the editor of my high school paper. We had a class of like 22 kids, but... You know, so I did the paper and I kept asking for assignments from everybody, but they'd never turn it in. So I ended up every month doing the whole paper myself. But it, it gave me a lot of freedom. I was able to take the trams all the way down to, you know, the Grand Place and to uh, the, the, the where the publisher, the printing press was. So it couldn't happen today. It was, a you know. But I speak French and Spanish. And so I, I adore my childhood. My older brother didn't take to it that much. Mm -hmm. And my younger brother was too young to appreciate it. But I think I had I had a wonderful childhood. That's amazing. You know, we also learned that you spent some time after you went to New York at the Actors Studio, which kind of inspired you to change your career path. So what was it about your time at the Actors Studio that convinced you to pursue acting? Well, I was spending the summer uh, between my freshman and sophomore year of which I was going to transfer from Briarcliff College in New York State to Georgetown in Washington, D.C., but my roommate in New York uh, uh, asked me to come stay with her for the summer because my parents, like I said, were in Istanbul and I didn't want to go there. I'd had kind of enough and I just, I was on my own now. I was 18. I was like, <laughs> I was so happy to be in America. So I happened to walk by the actor's studio. I was just curious walking around the whole area of the Broadway scene. And um, there was a sign in the window that said, um, we'll exchange auditing classes if you run the spotlight on the weekend productions, which happened to be Joanna Miles and Scott Glenn. So, so I applied, got the job running the spotlight, audited a bunch of the classes, and even though I was, uh, you know, very uh, fluent in French and Spanish, took French literature, was my minor in college. Russian was my major in college, actually. But I always fancied a career in journalism since I was the editor of the school paper. And I really liked it, liked how the whole printing process went. Um, but I thought, well, I've always been in the school plays, even in Venezuela. The first time ever on stage was in Maracaibo. I was the witch in Hansel and Gretel. Um, uh, and as a sixth grader, I won the part from the eighth grader for the evening performance. She had to do the afternoon. Uh, so I always uh, had a little <laughs> acting bug in me. 
So anyway, when I went there and I was doing the spotlight on the weekend and then this guy who his name was Joshua White, he became my boyfriend. He did the Joshua Light show at the Fillmore East on the weekends. Um, And he said, are you really interested in acting? And I said, well, I guess. I don't know. I'm here for the summer. And he said, well, my sister is um, an actress and she has a really cool agent. Why don't you swing by? I'll introduce you to Lester Lewis. Lester and Juliet Lewis and did and just it was sort of a lark it was okay this is fun and the first commercial they sent me out for which was Crisco oil I got and then I got three more after that and I just made a ton of money that summer and I was like is this what it is and then you know I tried to get involved in the in the Broadway off-Broadway scene but that wasn't really my style it wasn't something that I really gravitated towards, but I did go to Georgetown. I went there for only a couple of weeks. I had at that, at that time, uh, by then had already established my relationship with Joshua and I missed him and I wanted to go back and I just, you know, I got a soap opera, love is many splendid thing. I mean, I just had a good life there. My parents didn't know for two years. They thought I was going to college <laughs> back wow. then you wrote letters. I was writing great letters. <laughs> <laughs> Were you in the letters pretending like, oh, Georgetown is great like that? <laughs> no, I didn't deceive to that point. It, it was really after about six months when I think my dad had gotten a letter from them saying your daughter <laughs> has not been in class. And he asked me what was going on. you know. But I'm very proud that I got into Georgetown because they were opening up the School of Languages and Linguistics for women uh, the year that I was going. And me and another girl were the only two accepted that year. That would have been 1969. So wow. that was kind of exciting on the other hand my boyfriend joshua white did the light show at woodstock and i went to woodstock with him so i didn't go to georgetown but i did go to woodstock of which you know i just we only were there the first and second day by then the uh the rains and the the mud were so bad and the uh joshua couldn't do his they actually had to use the sheet that they had for the screen to cover the instruments so he had nothing to project his light show on (laughs) but we we were in a trailer behind the stage and i remember meeting a lot of the people but at that point i wasn't really into the music scene and wasn't really well aware of who everybody was i just thought what a mess who would come to this my mom (laughs) went to woodstock randomly and she still has her ticket from there so you could have met my mom (laughs) so So, (laughs) growing up were you a fan of horror films were they on your radar i mean if you weren't into woodstock you were into horror films yeah did any make an impact on you growing up you know what no i didn't really get to watch a lot of films so the first film i ever saw was in maracaibo um i saw ben hur and and was first time i think i was probably in fifth grade so i was 10 or 11 my parents took a family outing on a sunday with another family and we went to a theater it was the first time i'd been in a movie theater and watched ben hur and i just i wouldn't leave i mean i was crying my dad was saying it's over come on pamela we have to go i go no what happened to the actors what are and then what happened to them my dad was don't worry they're having a coke they're fine they're living their lives it's just <laughs> So that was kind of it horror a, for you. It, it yeah. was. It made a big impact on me. Wow. Okay. I mean, hey, everyone has those stories of a movie that affected them when they were young. You know, it's well, it, that was my first movie, but I do say every time we would go from continent country to country, we had to come back to New York City. We stayed for two months in the summer. We got like 12 different vaccinations for the next country we're going to. Um, we stayed at this hotel that was right near Central Park. Not fancy. It was the Manger Windsor. It wasn't like you know the the, one of the best no definitely not <laughs> but we had access to 
room service. You know, I could take my brother and go to the Central Park with a bag of cherries. But when everyone else was sleeping at three o'clock in the morning, for some reason, I was excited being there. And I would have always turned the TV on, watch Shirley Temple. I loved Shirley Temple movies. I loved all the stuff that would come on at that time. So inside, I guess I was aware of movies and things like that, but not to the point of saying in my within myself, oh, this is what I want to do when I get older. You know, I always thought I was really on more of a, a language or like I said, a journal a journalism uh, track. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, you know, I always thought that Carrie was your first film, but then I read something about you playing a shampoo model in a 1974 film called No Place Like Home, but the film wasn't finished until 2006. Is that true? Well, yes. Well, after uh, I was with Joshua, then I met a musician uh, called Stephen Souls. That's where I get my souls from. Um, and he was in a group called the Tidbits, and they were recording in uh, Jamaica. They were kind of a an American reggae band, light light reggae, poppy, but really cool, influenced by Jamaica because they had gone to Jamaica a bunch of times uh, with Bobby Bloom, who what who wrote Montego Bay. I don't know if you remember that song, Montego yeah. Bay. It's a really cool song. <laughs> anyway, it was a really nice group, and they did a recording there. And then we met this guy Perry Hensel, who was a filmmaker, and he wanted to do uh, this film. He actually did The Harder They Come with Jimmy Cliff. I don't know if you know that movie, but it's Pretty a great one of the first Jamaican films to feature actual real Jamaicans on screen. They loved it. We went to one of the first screenings and people were howling and loving it. Uh, so then this was a trilogy he was doing, but I guess he couldn't, you know, and so he asked me to play the part of a, a songwriter, which is really funny because <laughs> I ended up playing Riff Randall, who was a songwriter too. But way before that, um, uh, I was a songwriter in No Place Like Home and I was supposed, and, and it was written by my, then I got married to Stephen Souls, and he wrote the song with his brother, and uh, and it, it was called World Full of Beauty, and I sing it in the movie, and I do this shampoo commercial, half naked in a waterfall, washing my hair. I absolutely loved it, loved Jamaica. Now, that was in the 70s when it cost like $100 round trip to go from, oh <laughs> from LaGuardia or JFK to Montego Bay. It was fantastic, and before Negril, which is a uh, strip of uh, seven mile beach there. It's now all hotels. There were just little cabins there before. So I have wonderful, you know, uh, lucky that I got to experience a lot of these places in the seventies and eighties yeah. that now are completely changed the whole, uh, the whole look and mood of it. But uh, yeah, so that was, but you know, that was sort of just uh, sort of an easygoing atmosphere. It wasn't like hardcore acting, you know, but it was uh, a great experience. But yeah. I had been on Love is a Many Splendored Thing. I had done a, a, a movie called Zebra. It was a 20-minute short for a photographer because I, I also was doing modeling at the time. So I, uh, you know, got together with a lot of photographers in New York City and did photo shoots. And, you know, one of them, Rick Van Glinton Camp, he, he did this short out in Block Island. So I had a little experience with and that was actually a little bit of a horror film. I played a girl that was being stalked by somebody who you never see. And I'm mostly in a bathtub. You don't see me nude or anything, but I'm in a bubble bath being scared all the time. I think <laughs> he liked my he liked my eyes. <laughs> uh, so so that prepared you. Did well, you know, you know, jumping right into Carrie. So you've mentioned before that you auditioned for it only a couple weeks after moving to LA, and that I guess director Brian De Palma and George Lucas were doing auditions together for Carrie and Star Wars, which is so weird because there's such different films but can you tell us about that first big audition and what they asked you to do 
Yes, that was just, uh, you know, fortuitous, kismet, whatever you want to call it, because I realized uh, with my musician husband that, you know, he he was on a different track than I was. He was involved in a lot of the recording artists there in New York City. He was from East Hampton. Um, He enjoyed New York, New York City. I had been there now five years and was kind of thinking, I don't think I'm really right for the Broadway scene. Um, uh, And even though I liked a lot of people, I didn't smoke, I didn't drink, I couldn't stay up late. It was perfect for modeling because you got to get up early, you got to keep your skin looking nice. (laughs) And so I decided I was going to move to LA. And it's very bizarre because, you know, in those days, I guess in your in your 20s, you know, things were easier and you weren't as afraid, I guess. I had one little white Samsonite suitcase. Um, I only had a modeling agent. She told me, I'll hook you up with Nina Blanchard in L.A. Um, Lester Lewis did not have any L.A. connections. Um, so I landed, took a cab to the Magic Hotel on Hollywood Boulevard, wow. got a room. And like within the next couple of days, Nina Blanchard, who was right down the street on Highland, said, oh, you know, there's this casting uh, situation going on. There's just these two guys are seeing everybody, all teenagers. Do you want to go? And I said, sure. So put on my overalls. The red hat was mine. I wore it because I was a model and was told, don't get sun on your face. You have to keep your skin looking nice. And I walk in after waiting an hour and a half in the hallway with a million other kids, uh, walked in and uh, it was George Lucas and Brian De Palma. At that point, we did not know them. We had never heard of them. It wasn't like a big deal. And uh, Brian turned to George and said, I'll put her on my list. And George kind of nodded. And I turned to go and Brian said, next audition, we're wear that hat. And I said, my red baseball hat. And he said, yeah. So subsequent three auditions later, which pretty much everyone that ended up in the movie was at those subsequent two or three auditions. And uh, we just had read throughs of the whole script. And every time he'd say, wear your hat. (laughs) Did you read for multiple roles? Well, it was funny. It was at his apartment on Fountain. I remember Bill Cat and Amy Irving and I think even Nancy Allen. The only person that wasn't there was Sissy because she didn't come until the day of the screen tests. And that's because Jack Fisk was her husband and he was the set designer and he was begging Brian, please, please let Sissy at least audition. Now she had already done Badlands and a couple other movies and and he thought she was perfect, but I guess Brian didn't want to include her and he kept thinking Amy Irving was going to be Carrie. Oh, so wow. she was always there. And um as, and so we would sit around the coffee table and we would take turns reading all the different parts, which you know, I know I I actually uh, did my screen test for for Nancy Allen's part, Chris Hardison, because there wasn't really much for Norma. Norma had one line in the script. She was not in the Stephen King novel. There was yeah. no character Norma. And then because of the way I, in the opening scene, when I take off my hat and hit Sissy over the head when she misses the point in the volleyball game and one of my pins gets stuck in her hair and I just ripped it out. And afterwards I'm like, I'm sorry, Sissy. And she's like, no, it's going to be great. It's going to look great on screen. And then Brian said, you know, that's so funny. We're going to book you for the rest of the time and you're going to just be with Nancy Allen. You're going to be your best friend. And so that was all ad lib and all added and not in the script at all. And so I'm so grateful for my hat, for Brian. Yeah. I was just (laughs) going to say, wow. (laughs) You were, so you were originally cast just to be kind of like one of the girls um, at the school, not to be one of the, that, wow. Well, I had a line. I mean, the opening line was thanks a lot. 
uh, Talk candidate. about being at that the right was place, a first right line. Time. All because you were protecting your face from sun yes. in LA. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that is crazy, you know, and and that's such a good story about and then and then look and you become like, you know, the second in command on the bully side, I guess I would say. <laughs> you know, right after the anything for Chris. Exactly. I mean, ever when you hit the head bully, you got to do it. Well, so, you know, right after that big volleyball scene is the infamous plug it up shower scene, which is, you know, chock full of nudity. And but you were one of the only girls who got to be covered up by a towel. And I was wondering, did you request not to do nudity or was that just a lucky coincidence? Oh, you're very observant because <laughs> that I mean, yes, this was my first movie. I mean, yes, I had done some things in New York, but and I thought, oh, my gosh, my parents are going to see this. You know, this is <laughs> I would have been the same way. <laughs> I mean, I didn't go to college. They're very upset about that, even though after seeing my Crisco oil commercial, they were like, oh, Pamela's on TV. You know, that was kind of exciting for them. But it doesn't really replace going to college. But so then, yes, I there's just no way I was, I had to have a towel. I didn't even ask. I just put the towel. Everybody else oh. was just taking off their clothes and happy to be in bras. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And it was fine because I really, um, I was the tomboy of the group. Everybody mm. else was trying to look pretty and have lipstick and have their hair curled. And I had braids and hat and overalls. I'm like, this is going to make me stand out. You know, I was very conscious was, of was that. Was it the I first film you uh, filmed? Like, was it filmed in order? So, like, was this your first day? I mean, like, or was it the yeah, volleyball the, scene? Was yeah, the first, was, right? was, was the shower scene one of the first scenes filmed? Um, Gosh, you know, I think it actually was. I think. Oh, God. I don't have a very clear memory of when, although that would have been in the studio, Culver City Studios. I think possibly the vault. No, I think the volleyball scene would have been first because I was only I was only supposed to be on for two or three days. And then he called my agent who by that by that time, having a modeling agency and then getting a movie, I had to get an actual agent. Yeah. And then she recommended somebody. And so they and she was a really nice lady. And they called and she said that Brian wanted me on for the, the rest of the six weeks because then everybody was on for six weeks. So it was well, going to be and a very and good for you for standing yeah. up for like what you were comfortable with. It's funny, you know, we are two gay men. So we just, you know, <laughs> watch this shower scene and we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, and, and trust but, me, the cinematographer and all the uh, crew, they were very happy to be watching that. Yeah. Well, let's, I think we need to do it again. Oh, it God. I can't even imagine. Steam. Oh, God. I, I can't even imagine. And I'm seeing it and, and going, oh, my God, Nancy, is that really what you want to do? I mean, <laughs> like, there is. I remember the first time I saw Carrie and I was like, wait, this film was made in 1976 because I didn't even know they could do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, of course, we have to ask about working with director Brian De Palma. Like, what was his directing style like? And is it true he asked you out during production? Because I think I heard you mention that on the Thing with Two Heads podcast. <laughs> well, yes. Yes to, uh, to both us. Um, his, uh, well, not both. The, the, his directing style uh, was very intense. Uh, he would sit on his director's chair and have a lot of communication with Mario Tosi, the, the cinematographer. They, to him, the look of the, uh, of the, uh, setup and the scenes were very important, of course, as it is with everybody, but he just seemed to take extra time with that and less time with talking to actors, which some directors do instead. When we did do the auditions at his apartment, on his dining room wall, which was a fairly large dining room, on all four walls, 
covered from top to bottom were storyboards of, I think, the entire movie. I mean, every scene was drawn out and there was stuff written on it, like, this is how I'm going to film this. I want to do this, blah, 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 little notes. And I was like, wow, this is how you make movies. You have to draw that, draw it out first, like a comic book. I was pretty impressed, but uh, yeah, so he, he, you knew that it was, the scene went well, if at the end he smiled, he had like a little bit of a sardonic, devilish little grin, and then he didn't ask for uh, another take, or, you know, let's go in for close-ups, because you always do the master, and then you do close-ups and whatever, um, but so the, the least amount of of takes on a scene, you knew, but he would never say, that was great, or, oh, do this, or try that. Um, so that, so So wasn't, wasn't, wasn't the biggest people person, I take it. (laughs) Right. But the thing about he did, yeah, he, he, uh, it's not that he asked me out, he followed, I had a little blue truck and, uh, we left the studio and I noticed the car driving behind me and we're going up Coldwater Canyon and, and all of a sudden it's like he's trying to ride, drive me off the road. So I pulled over into this driveway and then he stopped behind me. And then I realized it was him. And he came out and he said, Come on, come have a drink with me. And I go, Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow. You're like, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> wow. Like, in, in you know, I, I gotta say, anytime <laughs> I'm trying to uh, get someone's attention, I start by running them off right. the road, then I ask them out. Facebook Messenger. There was no, there was no um, apps that you could just talk to someone. That's funny, right? Well, that's true. But the weird thing is, then I'm not weird, but fortuitous for Amy Irving, he invited his good friend Steven Spielberg to the set, who none of us to ask you. So, I mean, and of course, you know, he looked a little geeky back then. I don't think many of us young girls were thinking that was a hot guy to go out with. But Has he ever not looked geeky? <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah, I guess he's improved with age. I don't know. In any event, he did ask all of us out one by one. And we all said no, except Amy Irving. And we all know she went out and obviously they... They hit it off. So (laughs) very famously, they wrote their um, what's it called on a napkin? Vows, not vows. um, They wrote on the napkin, like uh, if they get a divorce, oh, a prenup prenup on a napkin. And it's a famous story to this day. I I don't know. I don't know if I believe that, though, because Steven Spielberg hadn't really done anything of note at that up to that point. And so there wouldn't have been a, you know what I mean? Or maybe the prenup, maybe they got married after. No, I don't know. I don't know his uh, film chronology, but I I think that was He'd fairly done Jaws, early on. But not Jaws E.T. Was 75. Yeah, but that not wouldn't e. have been, uh, I mean, I guess it had a lot. They had, But I mean, really, what kind of prenup? She ended up with $100 million as her settlement. That is some napkin. Wow. So hey, you know what? I napkin. PJ, PJ, I will go out with Steven Spielberg for $100 million. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so so Carrie, of course, has a humongously, uh, like an all-star cast, including yourself and Sissy Spacek, Piper Laurie, Amy Irving, John Travolta, Betty Buckley, Nancy Allen. We have to ask you just about a few of these, starting with... Sissy Spacek, what was she like during filming? Like, did she try to keep her distance from you guys or did you guys all become friends? Well, we all became friends, of course. But yeah, and Sissy, like I said, we met, she came in during the um, the screen test. So here we had seen, all of us had seen everybody that was at the screen test um, at the the, uh, read-throughs. And then all of a sudden in comes the Sissy 
who's dressed in a sailor, a little sailor dress. And and I knew her from New York. She actually dated uh, Bobby Bloom, who wrote Montego Bay in New York City. She was trying to be a musician in New York City. Um, but in any event, so I said, oh, hey, hi, Sissy, what are you doing here? She said, I'm, I'm reading for the part of Carrie. I said, oh, you are? Fantastic. And then apparently, obviously, she blew everybody away with her screen test because she had the perfect look. I mean, she was perfect. And so then when we started filming she came to us all and said look i really want to hang out with you girls but i need to feel alienated it's going to work for my character if i'm not part of the fun and game so i'm not being rude i you know i just want to let you know and that lasted about two weeks <laughs> she, <couldn't laughs> <handle it. laughs> she said i think i can handle it being friends with everybody and having fun and still getting into character <laughs> you know i mean maybe you wouldn't even have known this but was there any like resentment from amy irving since she was supposed to play that and then she didn't get it or was she totally happy with because the role of sue snell is a great role also but did you sense any of that um not at all i think that amy probably was happy because she did have a pretty good role that was and yeah. her part was perfect and once once you saw sissy in action as carrie i mean there's just no denying that the she was meant to play the role I mean, oh my god yeah and then and, piper laurie was just spectacular so and then uh, amy irving's mother got to play her real mother i know her, so mother. Cool. I mean, she was a real mother so it was kind of cool. You know, and she yeah. got and, Steven Spielberg. So, <laughs> and, and how was um, John Travolta? Any funny stories about him? He was great. Um, everybody, first of all, this was pretty much everybody's first movie, and everybody was tickled to death. It was, uh, we were being paid favorite nations. That meant that everybody got the same pay. So, it was $600 a week, which for me, my apartment on, uh, on, on Franklin was $200 a month. I was like, Woo! over the moon. Oh, oh my God. God. You were in the money. Uh, then. Uh, and it was like, woo. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but everybody, uh, was in excellent spirits. Uh, it was just going to be a, a not a, not a you know a quick. It was going to be a quick shoot. We all knew our parts. We're all older. None of us were teenagers. Which going back to that shower scene, obviously couldn't have done that if we weren't all already in our twenties. So yeah. But so every day we just had a blast. We watched each other doing their scenes. So we. We, we just really had a, a really good time. And John Travolta was the most fun. I mean, he just always was prancing around, always grabbing somebody's hand and like trying to do a little dance with them. Uh, he, he just was a love bug. I mean, he just and the great thing about Brian De Palma, he wanted us all to go see the daily. So at five o'clock shootings done culver city studios walk around the corner watch what you filmed uh yesterday which was unheard of most directors would not let their cast in but we did it like okay we're gonna go watch watch movies for a half hour and there of us you know <laughs> and we got to see the scenes we saw brian sit in the back with his uh his uh secretary who was mar marking down the scenes that he liked or what he didn't like he would always be having a running commentary and uh, and whenever i came on the screen john travolta would just Owl with laughter and after we'll uh, say oh my god pj you're so funny you're just so funny <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's why he asked me to be in the boy in the plastic bubble yeah oh, that's so cool he, like you and yeah he was so nice that's great and then you mentioned piper laurie i wanted to clear something up because it's so funny like when you're doing research for one of these interviews, you know, I found on on IMDb trivia, which is usually wrong, but I'm still going to read it. It says that <laughs> Piper Laurie became your mentor during Carrie. But then I heard you mention that you didn't actually meet her until later at convention. So which is correct? Yes. And I wish I could figure out how to change that. I've gone into IMDb <laughs> DB Pro and tried to change it. 
because it's absolutely, I don't know who wrote that. It's absolutely false. I ne- I have ne- I did not ever meet her on the set. Didn't meet her. I don't even think I met her when we had the cast and crew screening, of which I don't really even remember that. But it was ju- that's just a weird paragraph in there that's totally false. Um, but I have met met her at conventions and did a did a uh, screening up in Portland, Oregon at the Hollywood Theater, me, Nancy and Piper. And she's just delightful. And uh, 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 I loved her book. And, you know, I think she's had a wonderful career. And she just brought such credibility to Carrie, I think, that oh, yeah. she puts a stamp of nobody else could have played that role. So good on uh, Brian De Palma for, for seeking her out. Yeah, exactly. Um, Who were you closest to while filming? Um. Nancy and I got very close. In fact, when she started to have her eye on Brian De Palma, I'm like, but he has a girlfriend. She's been coming down to the set every once in a while. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, she she just decided she was in love. But <laughs> wow. yeah, and we're still still very good friends. So and oh, Bill Cat, I see all the time. Uh, Amy Irving and Bill Cat had been an item in high school, and Amy thought I would be perfect for Bill, so she kept trying to play matchmaker but uh, i don't know i like I more love, of the bad, bad i love all these type. romances going <laughs> on know. you know Very um young, you know <laughs> yeah and now on to pro- probably the most famous scene in the film the prom massacre do you remember how long that entire scene took to film because there's just so much that happens do you remember how it long was that like took? three it was three days oh that's so it, it was, oh it, yeah three days it took and uh well that seemed pretty long to us but i mean it was uh yeah and and i remember brian uh said well what do you have any of these guys here you know playing these roles that you want to have your boyfriend because you have to have a scene we're gonna have do the exchange of ballots because again it wasn't really in the script so i said yeah michael talbot he's so funny and he was he was the funniest guy on the set he just was hilarious he ended up playing Switech in miami vice so yeah and so he he was was your boyfriend at the prom yeah, so he played oh, my bet. Can I say, and then of course there's the the big accident that happened during your death scene, the film where I think it was the water pressure from the fire hose ruptured your eardrum. Is that correct? Yeah. So Brian had this idea that he wanted the fire hose to bat my head around and look like my neck broke, and and uh, the fire chief said, "Well, that's going to be too much force. You know, we can't really do it half force, and that's not really a good idea." And then Dick Zyker, who was the stunt coordinator, said, "Well, I'll man the fire hose and I'll make sure it's okay." But I turned, you know, bats my head around. I turned my head and the full force went in my ear. And I just, it just make when you break an eardrum, <laughs> you just black out and it slithered down the benches there. And the grips came running over and carried me to my dressing room. And I had broken, it's called a rupture, ruptured my eardrum, went just down the street to Brotman Hospital. And, you know, for about six months, I had to get drops, special drops and had to get my ears checked. But I have better hearing than ever. And then ironically, Brotman Hospital is where I, I delivered both of my kids, you know, in 83 and 88, for some reason, my, uh, the, the natural childbirth center was there in Culver city. And, uh, that's where uh, they did their births so, it, in their birthing rooms. It's is so it cool. <laughs> is it true that the scene they show in the film is the scene where you were injured? Yes, absolutely. Because that was the last. I didn't come back to the set after I that. I was just that about was, to ask you, were like, yeah. you done filming? I mean, like you were really yeah, done. <laughs> I, I was going to be done filming anyway, but that really put the stamp on it. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And then yeah. and also I. I have to ask because obviously the red cap became your thing. Was it your idea or Brian De Palma's to even have you wear the red cap at the prom? (laughs) 
Well, I will have to give credit to Brian because he just made such a big deal out of that. In fact, the first day I showed up, I got out of my truck. I come walking up and he goes, where's that hat? I go, you mean my red hat? <laughs> and I said, it's in the truck. He goes, well, go get it. And I was like, well, okay. Then I started thinking, did he want to hire the red hat or does he like me? What's going on here? <laughs> this guy has a but red hat. I, know, he he has the red, red I should have given him the red hat. But in any event, then I come out with my prom dress on my hair, all curled looking. I thought, oh, for once, Norm is looking, you know, pretty dressed up here. Not like a tomboy. And he says, PJ, something's missing. And I said, Brian, you want me to wear? He said, Norma always wears her hat. And that's what he said. That is hilarious. And it turned out being great. And then there's that scene where um, Edie McClurg and I are under the hairdryer. And as a joke, I put it on top of the hairdryer. And he just <laughs> howled. He loved that. And I thought, oh, my God, that's kind of, well, that's really funny. <laughs> well, two questions. What, did Was there a premiere? And did you wear the red cap? And do you still have the red cap? <laughs> And what was your thoughts seeing it on the big screen for the first time? Um, you know what? I really have no memory of the, like I said, the cast and crew screening and I don't have a memory. I don't, it wasn't like a premiere like there would be today. They never did. They didn't for the, that movie. They didn't make such a big deal out of it. it was a, still a low budget, even though it was a studio picture. But um, so um, yeah, I don't, I just really don't remember. I must've been in Westwood, but. For some reason, maybe I was filming something else. I just don't know. But um, I had the hat for quite a while. I took all the pins off and put it in my washing machine one time. And and it was made of felt. And when I took it out, the whole thing just disintegrated in my hands. And I was so bummed because I really didn't need the hat. But two fans and two separate conventions have replicated the hat. So I have two perfect red hats and they somehow managed to make the pins and they put the rainbow patch and the cloud patch on the side. So I was so touched and honored. So I do have two Norma replica hats. That's amazing. <laughs> Did you happen to catch the 2013 Carrie? Did you have any thoughts on that? The remake? Yeah. Well, I watched the one, the television version, and then um, I watched yeah, the movie one. Uh, the movie one was okay. I mean, you just can't, you can't, you know, you can't catch lightning in a bottle twice. It's just our cast. And it was just so special. It, it's like Halloween. It just, it, you know, the characters and the casting and the lighting and the directing and the Senate It's just the whole package. And so, uh, no, I was disappointed, certainly with the rage. I didn't like that at all. I didn't thought the girl that <laughs> the played sequel, Carrie sequel, was yeah. definitely miscast. And but, they killed know. they killed Amy Irving in the sequel, which was ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. Well, PJ, now moving, I've been really, really excited about this. I've been containing my excitement, but moving on to the film that has had such a huge influence on both my life and just the horror genre in general, 1978's Halloween. Um, so it sounds like, from what I've read, that director John Carpenter always had you in mind for the role of Linda after seeing you in Carrie. So can you tell us about the audition for that film? Yes. I mean, in retrospect, yes, I've heard that. He didn't tell me that at the time. But uh, again, you know, you go up to uh, for auditions and it was unusual to uh, actually read with the director. So when I walked in, I'm expecting the casting agent, but instead they're like, oh, go in. John Carpenter wants to say hi to you. So go in, say hi. And uh, he said, hey, let's read the scene together. So we read a scene together and he, and he offered me the part, which again is unheard of. He said, hey, do you want to play this part of Linda? I said, absolutely. And and uh, he said, well, you're the, you know, you're the only one that read the word totally right. And I said, well, how else would you say totally? He said, well, that's why you got the part. 
Uh, he's <laughs> like, don't even have to. Is, you know, because of our reading that he hired me. But then I heard later that, you know, obviously he had seen Carrie, probably saw all the girls in Carrie and they had auditioned quite a few girls. So. Well, they. Pro- I'm sure that it, even if he did have you in mind, I'm sure you nailed the audition and that like solidified it for him, you know? Oh, well, thank you. It was fun. I mean, in those days, yes. When you and I remember in my 20s, I just certain roles, certainly, you know, Carrie was my first. So that I, is different. But uh, Halloween and then and, and then and not because Halloween was in my mind was going to become what it did, but because it was a part and I knew I could do it. And I just wanted it so badly. And the same with Riff Randall and Rock and Roll High School. You just set your meter to I got this and you do it. <laughs> no, that's great. And I got to ask, did they give. OK, so Linda's last name in the film is Vanderclock, which is a very distinct name. Did they give that to Linda because of your heritage, like having a like a German heritage no no well no my heritage would be dutch i was born in oh. frankfurt because of my parents oh. but my father was from rotterdam holland but um no i mean that was in the script that's you know from from deborah hill i guess because my understanding is she wrote the girls parts and she yeah. came up with the totally and haddonfield illinois was really she was from haddonfield new jersey so you know it was all it was all deborah hill who who was wonderful yeah and you know um another site that isn't always accurate um wikipedia um said that John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, you know, who was a co-writer, co-producer, initially wanted to cast Dennis Quaid, who I know you were dating at the time as your on-screen boyfriend, Bob. Is that true? Um, well, yes. Uh, we, let's see. That was, yeah, because we got married in 78. So November of 1978. So, yeah. But he was working on a television movie called Bill with Mickey Rooney and they went through the dates and he wasn't available for the dates to, oh. to do that. But yes, that, that was what they were thinking about. But um, after the, I did the audition with John, he said, I got three guys outside waiting, you know, to play your boyfriend. Can you help me choose them? So I sat through their read throughs and then I said, Oh, John Michael Graham, he's so cool. He'll be, he'll be perfect. And we had a really good chemistry. That's <laughs> so, awesome. <laughs> do, you, do you remember any of the other actresses that read for Linda? No, I didn't see anybody else. And so maybe, you know, they had seen gone through a, a bunch of people just to see and then they had me come in. But I don't remember. It was pretty, pretty quickly after that, where we all got together. The first shot of the three girls were on the steps, actually, of the casting offices, which were the Charlie Chaplin Studios off um, Fountain. And uh, they had us come and meet and we're sitting there and it looks like we've been friends forever. I just oh my God. Yeah. That is such an iconic, <laughs> such an amazing photo. You know, created you know, I know. Um, and that was the first time we had laid eyes on each other and we look like we're best friends in oh high my school. God. It was so cool. I totally, so, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis has said that in real life, she was more like your character, Linda, or even the smart Alec Annie than the quiet, you know, resourceful Lori Strode. So which of the three girls, Linda, Annie, or Lori, would you say you were most like back in 1970? Well, I, I, pro- I mean, I, I can't say that Lori was a nerd, although she was more of a nerdy girl, but a nerd isn't appropriate, really. She was kind of a brainiac and a good student and a good a good daughter. And I probably was that. I mean, I took care of my seven-year-old brother. I made sure he went to and from school. We had to take the city bus when we lived in Brussels. I was hugely responsible, straight-A student. I mean, I just... 
you know, no boyfriends. And my best friend was Cindy Clark, who smoked and dated a Belgian guy. She would have him to her house to spend the night. She would crawl out the window and her mother would knock on the door. Is everything all right? Do you need anything? I go, no, we're fine. And Cindy Uh, wasn't there. Oh, my God. You were totally a Lori. (laughs) So that was Linda. I got to play Cindy Clark. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. So you were kind of a Lori. Lori. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so so on to the word you've become incredibly famous for totally. So what we want to know is was totally actually in the script as often as you said it or was some of that ad libbing? No, definitely uh, ad lib. And I told John uh, at the beginning, I said, I really like this word. I think that Linda should say it more often. I'm going to push it. I'm going to say it as much as I can. But if you think it becomes annoying, let me know. But he never said, hey, and now try that without the totally. So I fit it in only when I thought it would work. And so I think, though, people have told me that I've only said it. I only say it like 11 times, which I find hard to believe. I haven't never counted myself, but at the conventions, you know, uh, 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 somebody came up to me and said, you know, that's a college drinking game. I said, it is. He said, yeah, uh, we watch Halloween and every time you say totally, we take a shot. He said, but we've, never seen, I, we've I, never seen the end of the movie. <laughs> oh, my God. I was just going to say, uh, like, maybe I'm a sniff, maybe not a shot. Shots. We're doing shots next time. I didn't even think about that, um, PJ. That is a great drinking game. If you get through the end of the movie, I hope so. I don't even know if I could do one shot. Today. Yeah, uh, Tim would be out after the first <laughs> I, totally. I'm such a lightweight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, me too. <laughs> um, what was it like working with John Carpenter and Deborah Hill? Um, idyllic, I have to say. And certainly my only experience would have been Brian De Palma, who I told you uh, was a little bit more, uh, less of an actor's director. And, uh, uh, and, and But he had a big production to, to stage. Uh, and it was more of a, I guess, I don't want to say significant, but there was a lot going on for, mm-hmm. for Brian. Um, and he came from New York. So he had a New York style. John, more laid back. Uh, the uh, USC film school, Nick Castle was on the set, Tommy Lee Wallace. They were all friends of his from film school. Nancy Keys, Nancy Keys was Nancy Loomis, who was married to Tommy Lee Wallace at the time. They had a child together on Halloween. So, um, you know, this was like a family production. And then he and Deborah were, were a couple, you know, yeah. until the end of the movie. But um, so it was just very relaxed. It was very much like, you know, working with your family. I just just remember being, uh, you know, excited to go to work every day. And we were there every day. Uh, you never knew when you were going to, you know, be able to finish one scene and get to another. Because with John, it was three takes. That was it. Because, you know, film was expensive. And <laughs> they were on a very tight budget. And you had, you had Donald Pleasance, who was only there maybe for a week, I think. So they had to get his scenes done. He got a hundred thousand though out of the three hundred thousand. But wow, <laughs> wow, I did not know yeah, that. I, I think I may yeah. have heard that. You yeah. know, and so and, the film was really made for two hundred thousand. <laughs> uh, and so, and John and Deborah acted like a team the entire time, right? Because I know John directed, but Deborah was so involved, right? Did they kind of? Work uh, it as was sort. It was really like a co-directing, and then really a third with Dean Cundy, the DP. He, the three of them, but really, I always remember John and and Deborah Hush Hush talking to each other and very gentle it was a very quiet set very not histrionic not you know very very calm it was very soothing very nice you felt like also you could contribute uh, any ideas that you had so always open to ad-libbing as was obviously brian with my part because there was nothing written on the script but that was really the only aspect of that but with john he was really open to anyone you know in fact 
uh, Nick Castle who puts the sheet on and after the kill with uh, John Michael Graham down in the kitchen, Bob, um, Tommy Lee Wallace was supposed to do that and he had gone to run an errand. And so John said, Nick, you just put a sheet over your head and just strangle PJ. <laughs> uh, hey, just strangle PJ. <laughs> it was so casual. And then <laughs> we did that actually three times. If you ever heard the outtakes, the first two, I'm just giggling away because he's tickling my neck and I'm saying, you're going to have to do it a little harder. And he's like, I don't want to hurt you. I go, you're not going to hurt me, but you have to give me some pressure here. Otherwise, I'm not going to feel like <laughs> that. Well, so, yes, we wanted to ask really you. It was really funny. We wanted to ask you about your your big death scene because, um, you know, I heard you mention that, like you said, John Carpenter let you add the lot of the dialogue when you're trying to when he's under the sheet and you're trying to get him back to bed. But what I need to know is, does that mean one of my favorite lines, see anything you like? Was that ad libbed or was that in the script? Yeah, that was ad libbed. Yeah, because he was very nervous about me doing any kind of nudity. Mm -hmm. And and of course, I didn't in Carrie. So and. And I, I thought to myself, well, I guess, you know, I could do something like the quick little drop the sheet and pull it up because I'm, I, I was thinking, you know, I'm a high school girl. I'm a teenage girl. I'm not that sexy and I can only do so much. I'm a young girl here. But he said, if you could just put in a little snippet of nudity. So, and then so all that dialogue, I had the, the nail file in my purse. So I took it out because I'm like, well, what would I be doing? I'm sitting here waiting. I'm not going to just be sitting here. I have to do something. And and so the whole thing of, you know, cute, Bob, real cute. That whole thing was just an ad lib. And it only had uh, Deborah Hill, John and Dean Cundy were the only ones in the room because, you know, he wanted to be very um he wanted to be, you know, mindful of how I was feeling. So, yeah. and I really didn't think it was a big deal. I mean, I, I thought I just took the sheet down and put it back up so quickly, but people noticed, I guess. It's, a, I mean, and, and the angle also, it's not it's like it's, it doesn't just, you know, could like zoom in or anything. It's very slight. Right. How yeah, about right. the line? Can, can't I get your ghost, Bob? Um, I think that might've been in there. That might have been. Yeah, I can't check my script because I gave it to Rob Zombie for his 40th birthday. Oh, Oh my God. And now there's been so many repros of scripts that probably they took it from the movie. But yeah, that scene was like Linda uh, tries to entice uh, Bob back to bed. That's pretty much what I remember it saying. That's no, that's so funny. And then yeah. and, and when you were doing the scene where Nick Castle strangling, you said it took three takes. Is it was it weird having to just make all those choking <laughs> grunting sounds for so long because it just goes on for so long? <laughs> well, that was my choice because that was going to be uh, that's a wrap on PJ. So the whole time I'm getting strangled, I'm going, oh, my God, I'm not going to get to go to the set anymore. This is going to be it. I'm going to uh-huh. be done with this movie. This is too sad. And so I just wanted to capture maximum screen time so the whole time even uh, when i go out of frame i'm like uh, <laughs> i would have done the same thing you're like hey just a few more chokes a few more chokes <laughs> i you know I, um, then everybody laughed after that because they obviously knew i was prolonging the yay that's a wrap on pj <laughs> oh well um you know of course we have to ask you about working with jamie lee curtis as i know halloween was her very first movie what was she like while filming was she kind of like as funny and outspoken as she is today um not not uh not hilarious and not outspoken but full of life and joie de vivre she was 
uh, very happy. She uh, was a little nervous. I would say a lot nervous because she thought, oh, gosh, this is a gift. I'm the lead. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to get fired. For the first three days, I think she was like more of a nervous wreck. But she always had a huge smile. She was always, you know, happy, happy. Um, but no, not, she's definitely not the outspoken. But she was definitely a force on the set of, of happiness, giddiness, and and really just the light, you know, she was just really a light on the set. Yeah. It's something and she I'm was old. only 19. You know, Nancy and I were already, I was 26. <laughs> and I think Nancy's a year older, maybe 27. So we were like. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's definitely so different than 19. She was 19. And this was her first movie. I think she'd done something before this, but she was just uh, extremely. And, and really, I, I don't know what Nancy thought, but I. Having not been a student of film, I didn't really think about Tony Curtis or Janet Lee. I didn't mm -hmm. think of that at all. To me, this was, you know, this was uh, Jamie. She's a cool, cool yeah. girl. <laughs> you know, so here's something I've always wanted to know from your perspective. Do you think Linda, the character of Linda, thought that it was Bob that killed her? Because, you know, Michael approaches her from behind, is strangling her, and the sheet doesn't fall till the end. So in your opinion, do you think that she thought her own boyfriend was killing her? Yeah, I have, I've never thought about that. <laughs> that <laughs> would be a not. new thought. Um, I think the thought process would be, why isn't Bob taking off the sheet? Why didn't Linda rip off the sheet and drag him back into the bed? Why did she jump up and want to call uh, Lori? You know, this is going nowhere. This is what she said. But So I don't think you can overanalyze that scene too much because then you'll fall into all the holes of why wouldn't she have, you know, I mean, he's breathing heavily. He's got Bob's glasses on. So uh, it would make sense that it is Bob. But is it Bob? I mean, why is he playing such a big game? It's just taking too long. And he was supposed to bring a beer. They were supposed to drink a beer and then go back at it again. So what's going on? I know. <laughs> so I don't think as she was being strangled, she thought of anything. But uh, how do I? How do I, how do I myself? How do I breathe? Yeah. Um, and then yeah. uh, the most important question, if Linda had survived, do you think she ever would have left Bob for Devon Graham? Because he was cute. <laughs> 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 well, I, uh, that's a good question. But uh, I I think if she had survived that, she her parents might have moved her away from Haddonfield. <laughs> oh, yes, I would hope so. Yeah. Um, what, so was there any type of cast and crew screening for Halloween? Um, when was the first time you saw it? Yes, I do remember at the Directors Guild, we watched uh, the and, and I remember my first my first thought was seeing the credits and seeing the opening credits with the pumpkins. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. That's really cool. And then the music started and I was like, what? That music is really good. And then, you know, I really thought it was wonderful. And for me, my point of view was, yes, I, I probably get another job after this because I think the movie's really good, you know, and I like what I did. I'm not embarrassed by it. I think it's going to be good. I'll have to explain to my parents that little scene, even though it's so minor, it's still oh, my parents. Yeah. So, so but um, I, we all just were thinking it was really great, but not to the point where it's a hit movie. Everyone's going to love this. Uh, the staying 50 years power from alone. now, we're going to be signing autographs. <laughs> I know that 45 years later, you still would. No, it's yeah. incredible. And I know the only thing was I probably get another job. So, phew. 
dodged a bullet. <laughs> uh, no, that's great. And you know, a couple years later, I know while they were making Halloween two, um, I think they they had you come back to film an additional scene for the TV version of Halloween. So, what was it like returning to film another scene with Jamie Lee and John Carpenter, especially a couple years later? Yeah, well, that um, I think it maybe was just one year later. I don't remember. Oh. I don't remember the time on that, but obviously we still all look the same and it was fun to reunite. And I think I'd seen Jamie used to come over to my house all the time. So it wasn't like I hadn't seen her, yeah. um, wasn't really in touch with Nancy Loomis uh, and not with John, but Jamie, yes, we became re very good friends. And um, yeah, so, you know, seeing everybody again, Dean Cundy, it, it might have been a couple of years later because Dean Cundy was a DP on Rock and Roll High School. Oh, yeah. So that was awesome. I knew I was in good hands when he showed up. I was like, yay. So, uh, but that was fun. You know, I think I was borrowing a blouse from her. She has her hair in a towel because I think Jamie Lee yeah. had cut her hair there. And that was the way they could explain right. it. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I do remember at the casting crew screening that, um, John Carpenter walked in with Adrian Barbeau, like they were holding hands and we were all like, what, what happened? What's going on? So that's the first time we were aware. And I was crushed because I thought a oh, Hollywood couple, you know, like me and Dennis and Deborah and John, they, and they were so wonderful. They worked so well together. They, and then, and, and, you know, this was their baby. And then he's walking in with Adrian Barbeau, we, who we didn't know. We just knew this gorgeous girl <clears throat> with giant boobs was coming in with John. Did Deborah Hill attend also while he was well, there? Of with course, you? it was oh. the casting crew screening. <laughs> I think that all happened with her blessing. And it might not have been the relationship that we all, just because they were living together and whatever, that we all thought that it was. Or maybe they were just very good friends. Or maybe they had, uh, you know, permissions. I don't know. I think... Uh, you know, it didn't seem like Deborah was ever upset about it or anything. I don't know about her private life, but, uh, you know, it, it seemed she was there and it was, you know, everybody was friends. So, and we had a rap party at Deborah and, and John's place. This was before Adrian Barbeau and, and the band played, his band played. Uh, the Coupe John de Ville. I've seen that the one Coupe picture. Ville, I love it. Yeah. And Dennis yeah. was there and we had, we had a great time. I love that. You know, um, um, moving forward to, Halloween H2O 20 years later. Is it true that you were first offered the role of Norma, Jamie Lee's secretary that later, later went to her mom, Janet Lee? No, I never oh. heard that. that Here's fun. another. Hey, again, <laughs> but, all but these she, did, she did invite me to that, that premiere. That premiere, I remember, was in Westwood. And <clears throat> I thought, oh, well, this will be fun. And from a, and it was really crowded and way across the, the lobby I saw Jamie and she spotted me and she came running over and there's all these cameras everybody you know like they do with the red carpet whatever and she yells out fuck PJ come here like, oh sounds like she Jamie Lee fuck in front of everybody I was like oh my god that's <laughs> hilarious I love that yeah and you know, I liked the movie I thought that was great and I love that her mother was in it and so oh yeah I know it. and then we thought well that's gonna be the end of the Halloween's now enough already well, <laughs> well, who well, knew <laughs> like, jump to 2018 um your your <laughs> voice is as the teacher in the 2018 version how did that come about um, yeah, well, that's interesting because uh, a couple of years before they were doing that, um, John Carpenter, and we'd been in touch here and there with emails, and I had seen him here and there, but he had invited me to lunch and, and just to see how I was doing. And I think he probably wanted to see what I was up to, maybe what I looked like, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I had my two kids and 
They were often, my son's a commander in the Coast Guard. My daughter teaches yoga and she's a musician. And, you know, they're both married now. They both have kids. And he just, and and his son, uh, Cody, was in Japan teaching English, but he really wanted to be a musician. So he's kind of checking in on me. And, uh, and, and I said, yeah, I mean, it'd be fun. I mean, you know, yes, Linda died, but if they're going to start doing more Halloween's, I could play another part, you know, and then he didn't say anything about it. And then I heard about this and I emailed him. I said, hey, there's this new movie. Do I get to have a part? And he goes, if it was up to me, you would be the star of the movie. And I'm like, "Okay," but that didn't go anywhere. But I think he might have put in a word maybe to um, David Gordon Gordon, Green, David Gordon Green. And so they he had sent me David Gordon Green sent me an email asking if I would do the voice of the teacher would replicate the scene in the original movie uh, and doing the little bit about poetry. So I wrote right back. I said, absolutely. But only if I can say totally. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, and he wrote back. Absolutely. So I never met him, but oh. we did it. I went down to a studio and he was on Skype and he directed me while we were recording my, I did it three or four times, different ways. Like he asked me and each time, I made sure I always put totally in because I thought they're not going to get away with using the one where I didn't say totally. And the only reason I want to do this is for the fans that I add with the, you know, the little Easter egg of saying totally. So it's such a good Easter egg. And, you know, have you, did you end up seeing Halloween 2018 or Halloween kills or ends? You know, just snippets of it. No, I, I didn't. I, I, I didn't just because it didn't seem relevant to our movie and, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just. Uh, well, I do want to let you know, uh, you have the voice cameo in Halloween 2018 in Halloween Kills. They show your photo on TV, a, a picture of you from that time because they're talking about like the massacre. And then in Halloween Ends, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Lori, she has a picture in her home. It's that picture of you, Annie and and uh, her from the first one. Kaplan Studios? Yeah, from the studios up in her home. So your presence is kind of felt throughout all three of the movies. Well, I'll tell you that they have to have permission they had to have required because of sag after they had to ask permission and the second movie um that's my personal photograph david gordon green reached out to me asked if i had any pictures of me from that time period and i have that picture is actually taken by bobby carrying might have been taken by dennis Quaid, but i said bobby carrying because they needed a release from the photographer i'm like okay i'm probably not going to get dennis to like get in touch with me even though i don't know why not i mean water under the bridge we've had wonderful lives so why not but in any event so uh, bobby had to sign off that he took the picture he got paid i got paid to submit one of my own pictures from my photo album the green jacket i love that picture it's great it's from that those dates and and then the other one uh the other movie yes we had to sign off on that and i actually got paid and I'm in the credits and get a, resi- I get residual. So oh, like, awesome. about and, that, I, so. and I, and I for love me, I, Astra has been working very good on my behalf. <laughs> yeah. And again, like as fans of, or especially big fans of the original, it's just nice to have those little Easter eggs and that like the characters are people so love it. Yes. They love yeah. it. And they bring me the posters and I sign them and I'm like, but I was in it. I have a picture in it. They go, it's okay. You're in it. <laughs> no, this is great. Well, um, well, b- before we um wrap up, PJ, we want to play a little game with you where we ask you some quick questions and you simply have to answer with either Carrie or Halloween. And don't worry, we're not testing your knowledge or trivia or anything. It's just okay. 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 First one. Which have you seen more times in your life? Halloween. Halloween. Okay. 
This is going to be a tough one. Which do you think is the better overall horror film? Halloween. Good answer. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which had more drama on set while filming? Carrie. <laughs> I think I already know the answer to this one, but which had more behind the scenes romances? Oh, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> which had the scarier villain? Halloween. Which would you say has more cast members you're still in touch with today? Carrie. Which do you get asked about more by fans? Halloween. Ah. And the final one, which did you show your kids first? Halloween, yes. But my son, <laughs> my son was he was 13. And my daughter, well, she was much younger, but we were invited down to Disneyland um, and they were going to show a screening on the big screen. And they were going to give my kids tickets to Disneyland the next day if I would come. So I was like, all right. And I wanted to do a Q&A, whatever. So let's see, my son was 13 and my daughter would have been eight. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I just the thought that Disney was that doing a screening. screening well, it wasn't it no it was down in anaheim oh okay but they they got me to go there because they were going to give me tickets to disneyland for the next day to take my kids so but in any event we, uh, we're there and uh, the uh, the lights dim and all of a sudden there's uh, michael myers is walking around the audience during the entire screening i was so freaked out my daughter just put her head down on my lap my son was really freaked out so if you really want to have a a, a terror showing of Halloween. Have somebody dress up as Michael Myers with the knife and walk around and sit behind. Uh, we've we experienced it, PJ, because we've uh. been to so many screenings and there's always a few people that are dressed as Michael. And there's always that uh. tiny part of me that's like, what, gonna if, what if they're crazy? Right, <laughs> exactly. So it really gives you that extra squeamy feeling. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, unfortunately, we don't have the time to ask you about every horror film you've ever starred in. But we did want to wrap up with just a couple questions about a few of other films and um, first off, we we saw that in 1977, between, I guess, Carrie and Halloween, you were in a TV horror movie called The Possessed with Harrison Ford. So what was your experience on that film like? <laughs> that was that was fun because there were a lot of girls. And so talk about Harrison Ford <laughs> playing footsies with everybody. I don't know who he ended up with, but it wasn't me. <laughs> and, he was, and he was married at the time, but... Oh. <laughs> These um, men in the 70s. I know. Jesus. Jesus. Uh, I think yeah, it was James Ferentino. I thought that was great. It was, that was up in uh, or Oregon or Seattle. I I forget. I think it was Oregon. It was at a girls' school, actually. And uh, so it was fun because it was, uh, you know, the first time I got to travel. I was with a bunch of girls. I thought everybody was great in the movie. Uh, I didn't think it was a very good movie, though. I remember watching it and thinking, well, that wasn't really that scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, you also reunited with your Carrie co-star, William Catt, who played Tommy Ross, for a brief cameo in the 1999 film Jawbreaker. So what was it like working with him again on that film just for that scene um i had seen uh bill a couple of times probably at conventions and uh so yeah we've always maintained a really fun relationship he's a great guy we, we really care about one another and darren stein was fabulous i loved him that thought you know he just loved carrie so much and he wanted some little homage and wanted to put the two of us together so we were there for like three days and we have barely barely show up in the film but that they cut a lot of the stuff, but 
Um, it was it's really noticeable fun though. Like, yeah, I, I, mean, I was so excited the, when I saw I'm guys. so like, excited too. I, I know, like, oh but we God. had this whole drama thing of when the door opens and we see our daughter, we're both crying over and we're trying to wake her up. And it was so wonderful, but obviously didn't relate to the picture. But I love the look of that movie. I thought it was, I just think it's a fantastic movie. I think it should have done better than it did. I think it should be a cult film. I, oh, cult. oh, we, we oh, love it. it. Is? I, okay, yeah, good. Because yeah. I, it's, uh, and the um, the, the DP, uh, what's the girl's name? Amy, I can't remember her name, but she every day. I mean, I was only there three days, but each morning she'd come out with this gigantic photo book, and she'd open up, she'd gather her crew around. She go, "This is what I want the scene to look like. This is the lighting I'm going for." And I thought, "Oh wow, that's really that's really great." You know, I like to see an artist at work. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's that's, and especially that they share that with you, and and like that, that's great. Um, all. Also, you had a role. Amy in, Vincent, that was her. Oh, name, Amy okay. Vincent. You, yeah. you also had a role in Rob Zombie's 2005 film, The Devil's Reject. So, what was Rob Zombie like to work with, and what was it like being punched by Sid Haig? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting because my agent called and said, um, "This guy, Rob Zombie, you probably know he's a musician. He wants he's doing this movie, and they want you to go down to Santa Monica and do audition." So. I went down there, put a scene on on tape. It had nothing to do with getting hit. It wasn't anything from that movie, I don't think, from Devil's Rejects. And and then I didn't know anything about him. And so I thought, well, okay, I'll go to Blockbuster. I rented House of a Thousand Corpses. Oh, and I God. watched it. Called my agent and said, no, 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 no. Pull me out. Withdraw me. Not interested. And then, so I didn't hear anything. And then about a month later, she said, well, you got the booking. I said, the booking for what? And she said, for Rob Song. I said, no, no, I don't want to be in one of those movies. And she said, no, here's the scene. I'm going to send you the scene and read it. And and guess what? You don't get killed. And I said, oh, I don't get killed. Okay, then I'll look at it. So it was one day I had to drive way out in the desert near Palmdale or some creepy location. But it was wonderful working with Sid Haig. He directed the whole thing about the punch. And the first time I turned the wrong way and he hit me and he goes, PJ, you're supposed to turn the opposite way. Oh, God. <laughs> it's a fake punch. It's not a real punch. And he was so sweet and so nice. And I made the mistake of giving Rob Zombie. I, somebody had sent me a, 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 a tape of... Um, local H's, whatever happened to PJ Souls. And I thought, well, he's a music guy. I don't know anything about him, but I'll give him that. I know he likes music. And then he just would play it all day long, blasting out just that one song, whatever. And then at lunch, he came to my table. I'm sitting there eating a salad and he dumps all these posters and photographs and I don't know, stuff on the table. It was like 50 things. And he threw a Sharpie down. He said, yeah, can you sign all this to me? Just put to Rob. Uh, <laughs> okay. Wow. So he was a fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, wait, you said you gave him your original script to Halloween. I have to ask, is that what inspired him to do a remake of Halloween? I think it's possible because after we did that scene and, you know, he was very nice. I mean, I thought he was wonderful. And I I met Bill Mosley and I bet met his wife, Sherry, but I wasn't in a scene with them, just with the little boy who never acted again, probably because of that scene. And Sid was wonderful. And, and since then, obviously, he's passed away now. But at conventions, everybody loves Sid Haig. He just was the nicest man ever. Um, so we became friendly with Robbie and invited uh, us to a couple of things. And one was a 
his 40th birthday party. So it was going to be held at this club. I never go out. I never do things, but I'm like, all right. And all day I'm thinking, what can I give him? What can I give him? And I'm, I look through my scripts because obviously he likes memorabilia because I signed 50 things at lunch. <laughs> and uh, I see this, my Halloween script is missing a cover. It's really ratty. It's got paper clips. I only had one paper clip. I couldn't even find another one to put on. I'm like, you know what? I bet this is the kind of thing you would like. So I wrote to him, you know, blah blah blah. totally pj souls and i wrapped it up went to this party it's pouring rain at this club walk in there's all these gifts piled high put my thin little wrap script in the pile and then i go to sit down and nick cage walks in he's walks in with this shrunken head in a glass case and everybody's swarming around i'm like oh well i guess my my script's not gonna mean anything blah 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 so then we're leaving and going out and I'm visualizing somebody bringing all these gifts to the trunk of a car and the script falls down and it goes in a mud puddle and someone drives over it. This is crazy me. <laughs> and and then I th- I forget about it and go to sleep. And those days we had answering machines, seven o'clock in the morning, my phone rings. And I'm like, just let the answering machine answer it. And I hear this is Rob Zombie. Oh my God. That is the best present I've ever gotten in my entire life. No one is touching it ever but me. I love this so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's going in my vault. Nobody's ever going to put a fingerprint on it. (laughs) So that's my story of Rob Zombie. And then a couple of years later, and then he does a remake of Halloween, yeah. <laughs> which was very, very different than your movie, I will say. Right. But he probably poured through the script and he, you know, all, had all my notes in there and everything. That's so. awesome. And so obviously um, you've done a horror convention, but do you see an, another horror film in your future? You know what? I just feel that with Halloween just being everybody's favorite no matter how many halloweens they make and no matter how many horror movies come down the pike you just can't top that so it'd be really it'd be really hard to do you know another another one i mean i i get tempted here and there but the character would have to be really interesting i'm old now older (laughs) and i don't know it it takes a lot to pull it together to because you always want to do a hundred percent and uh you know i would want to do something that um my grandkids i would want them to be proud of and uh and you know most of my films are when i'm younger so it's a really hard call to think about doing something uh at this age i don't mind the voiceovers and the the you know the things the q and a's and meeting people at conventions everybody's so lovely they always say how great i look and that makes me feel good cuz you know at 73 you know what you feel like <laughs> well but, you know well and i'm so now i'm looking forward to my grandkids getting to see it my 6 year old grandson chase he saw the trailer and he, he all he talks about is michael myers yeah my grandmother was killed by michael myers uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's like always saying that i'm like don't say that chase that's so cool. Well, you know, PJ, I mean, we as big fans of yours, like, yes, of course, Halloween is incredible. But like, oh, I love seeing you in horror movies like nowadays, just because it's just it's just so cool that you've embraced this genre so much. Like as huge fans of, of wow. horror films, it's just so cool that you have been open to doing more horror films and everything. So we hope that there is some more horror in your future. <laughs> Well, there has to be a really, really good uh, part. Um, I'm excited about uh, 
Tony Massey and Matt Russell's board game, Halloween yeah. 2. That, yeah. That's something that just came out of the blue. And I thought, how exciting. What a great idea. So that's something to look forward to. I think uh, they did a great job with the trailer. and uh, Oh, the trailer uh, was oh, yeah. great. And it's such it's a so detailed, cool. like, it's such a detailed game. Like, you can tell how much of a fan Anthony Massey is of these movies. Because, oh, you know, and Matt Russell. I mean, yes, oh my Matt, gosh. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. He was yes. a fan I met in Chicago when he was in high school. And I oh. encouraged him to move to L.A. to become a writer. So we go back way back. Wow, I had, had gone to this convention. My daughter was in high school and she came with me and he kept coming back in my line. And I thought, gosh, he must, he must like my daughter, Ashley, what's going on here. <laughs> and then finally I said, meet me out in the lobby. Stop coming to stop waiting in line. And then we talked to him and it turned out that he just loved Halloween so much. So I, I think it's great that he and Tony got together and that they have this project going out. So, but that could be a movie. Yeah, Halloween I mean, board game. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Well, we have one final question for you, PJ, and thank you again yes. so much for taking the time to like it just to make our day. Basically, you, uh, I, mean, I don't know a bigger Halloween fan than Matt Emmer. I it's true, and uh, I know it's like I know you go to these conventions, and I'm sure everyone tells you Halloween is their favorite movie, but like. I can tell you, anyone who knows me, since I was age 11, when I first saw it with my mom, the TV version, oh. I oh, just, wow. yeah, it just from the music to the characters to just the, to Michael Myers, like everything, it was so creepy and it just got me into the genre altogether. Like if it weren't for Halloween, I don't know if I would be a horror fan. Wow, that's really saying something. Well, I really appreciate you and I think that's a great story and uh, thank you so much. I mean, it's hard to always talk about myself. I, it's not, I'm not very comfortable. With I that. would love it. We but... love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have you one final. It's a really nice experience. And I thank you because it's not something I really, you know, wanted like to do is like talk about myself all the time. But <laughs> well, you we made love it, it. <laughs> easy and fun. And I appreciated your questions. Of so course. Thank well, you. thank you. We just had this one final question and we asked this to everyone we interview on the podcast. Um, and, um, it is what is one thing that you can tell us about your experience working on either Carrie or Halloween that you've never told any other interviewer, publication, convention, Q&A or podcaster. It doesn't have to be anything crazy or juicy or whatever. Just one thing that you can tell us about your experience on either of those movies that you've never told any other interviewer. <laughs> Well, I could say something. <laughs> please, please, please. Oh, he leans in. <laughs> <laughs> we are all ears, PJ. All right. Well, let's see. I guess it was uh, we were doing day two of the prom scene in Carrie. And um, I think I got somehow I got blood on me or something. And they did have a shower in the back. So I went to shower off and Sissy came back and she offered me a joint. <laughs> Whoa, Sissy space. I mean, you guys were, but you guys were of age, right? I mean, oh, absolutely. But I am really a nerd and I said, no, but I always thought, wow, that I mean, you know, we're still on set. We're still working. I mean, I didn't have to go back to work, but uh, but then you know, afterwards she invited me uh, and her husband. Her she was married, and she lived in Topanga Canyon. I lived in Studio City to go um, hiking and stuff. And I did that once in a while, and we became friends. And then she moved to West Virginia. But I always look back on that and think that was that was such a so weird because 
it wasn't weird. It's just that I wasn't into doing that, but I think that Sissy was, and uh, and that was kind of early. But I mean, most of my friends smoke pot. I mean, Dennis yeah. Quaid smoked pot. When you, when you declined, when you so. declined her pot, did the lights break? Yeah, did Carrie get mad? <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> I think uh, I I made the excuse like, oh, I don't want to get your joint wet. I think that's what uh. I said to her. <laughs> as, a, uh, no. as a lame excuse. But then I had this flashback back to Cindy Clark leaving me in her room and going out the window. The and real I'm, life I'm Linda. Always the, I'm always the straight one. What is wrong with me? <laughs> Cindy Clark is the real life Linda. <laughs> and also, it now I can watch Carrie and no wonder why Sissy looks so relaxed in the prom yeah, scene. <laughs> no, just kidding. Well, thank you for that. That's awesome. Yes, That's a great you, story. Um, well, I look, love you, Sissy. See, I hope that's okay, but I think most people know. <laughs> she li- she's always commenting on our podcast. She's always good. You know, we um, we hope we um, we really really enjoy this. We hope we get to meet you in person. At I think we're going to try to make it to the Halloween um forty fifth convention. Well, you better. And yeah. I because I want to get my action figure signed by you would only make my life Absolutely. if I could get you. <laughs> and don't stand in line. Come to the front of the table and remind and tell me who you are. Up. Oh, no, well, you have to. I'll recognize you. I'll say, come, it's okay. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. That means so much. And, Seriously. And, I'll, and I will totally give you hugs. <laughs> oh, we will totally accept. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, well, thank you so much for your time today. We will definitely be in touch and hope you have a great rest of your day. Oh, thank you. Okay. Yes. Take care. Bye. Right. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Happy Horror Time. This podcast is hosted by Tim Murdoch and myself, Matt Emmer. It's produced by Jacob Randall. You can listen to the podcast directly on our website, happyhorrortime.com, or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you stream podcasts. We release new episodes every Monday. The first Monday of the month is always an interview with a horror star, and every other week we review a new horror film. Now, our reviews do contain spoilers, but you can check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter slash X social pages the Friday before release day to find out the movie we'll be discussing. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to happyhorrortime at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the podcast, please sign up to be a patron at www.patreon.com slash happy horror time. Patrons get access to our monthly bonus episodes, yeah. all our regular episodes ad free and a day early, our monthly newsletter, the ability to vote in our polls, and Tim, are you ready for this? Autographed, Autographed Happy Horror, horror time, time stickers. I'm Tim Murdoch. And I'm Matt Emmert. And, and we, we hope you have a happy horror time. time.